Hello and welcome back to Invent Anything. Today we'll be talking about, should I get an evidence of use opinion for my patents? And if I do, how do I leverage this evidence of use opinion and also avoid potential serious pitfalls? In this episode, we'll cover evidence of use for patents. You'll learn what it is and the many strategies that can be used to leverage your company. You'll learn secrets that few companies know about evidence of use. More importantly, you'll see how to monetize your patents avoid serious pitfalls. And finally, you'll see the evidence of use opinion so you know more about your competitor to build better products. And also we'll be talking about the future and artificial intelligence and evidence of use. Inventions keep the world spinning. From fire in the wheel to today's high tech, inventions power change. Turn your inventions into reality. Learn how to get your ideas to market. This is Invent Anything with John Cronin. So today, what we'll cover is evidence of use in topic one, and what types and levels of reviews are there? In topic two, we'll talk about what else should you consider with an EOU result. In topic number three, we'll talk about the things you can do if there is good evidence of use, meaning people are violating your patents. What tactics can you use? In topic four, we'll talk about how can you leverage this EOU result in topic number five, we'll talk about how do you build EOU thinking into your product design or your company strategy. And then in topic six, we'll talk about the future of evidence of use. Now, we always talk a little bit about the types of audiences for these types of podcasts. For this particular podcast, I would think the audience would be those that are either not familiar with the evidence of use or you might need a quick refresher. For those who might have recently done uh, an evidence of use, and they think the results are fairly close to infringement, this podcast is for you. For those who may want to raise the value uh, in an M&A discussion with potential acquirers or acquirers competitors, uh, this is also for you. Also, if you're raising money or doing an asset-based loan, you might be very interested in this podcast. For those who are thinking about AOU, EOU and other ways to leverage EOU in your company for your product design, we think this would also be for you. So let's get right into it. Let's get into topic one. What is evidence of use? And what types of levels of reviews are there? Well, evidence of use, also called EOU or called high level infringement analysis, means you have done the work that you would feel comfortable that your patents are likely to be violated. Or the opposite, you feel comfortable that after the work, the patents are not being violated, which is just as good of information to know what isn't versus what is. Intellectual property rights, as we've reviewed in the past, only count for the country or region that the patents are filed in. So if you find evidence of use against the products, you want to make sure that the products are made, used, or sold in the country you have a patent in. And that's a caveat. But before we begin, always we want to sort of give an example of an evidence of use. So you'll see this chart here that talks about evidence of use for a simple invention of a golf ball design. We have analyzed the claims for a patent that you can see 807-0627 if you want to look it up. Uh, we don't have any uh, relationship with this patent. Uh, we're just choosing it as a very simple patent. It's a golf ball, but notice the golf ball has a spherical outer surface with a bunch of dimples. And the dimples have a polygonal, polygonal shape. And the dimple has a concave configuration. So my golf ball is spherical outer surfaces with a bunch of dimples where the dimples have a particular shape and a particular configuration. So what I do is I go off with that claim of that patent and I hire experts who understand 
how to read claims. And I look at other products to see if any of those products have those features. Um, you can either tell me the companies that you are worried about in evidence of use, so I'll go right for them, or I can do a broader search for all companies. And I find this company, say Bridgestone E-Series Ball, as an example. And you can see that there's Xs in each of the features, the technical features. So this means, that X means, that it's likely there's infringement between the company and the claim of the golf ball. In Titleist Toursoft, which is another company, you can see that they have a couple of solid Xs, but some bracketed Xs. The bracketed Xs means that you might have to infer the violation of the claim, so the evidence of use is less pure. It's not 100%. And finally, you can see that Callaway Warbird has a couple of the features, but not all of them. They don't have the dipple with the concave configuration. So you can see very clearly between these three, the first one has strong evidence use because we have solid Xs, meaning we can directly see in the product. The second one has some direct Xs, but some inferred, meaning it wasn't there when I looked at the product description, but we thought it would have to be there. And the third is it doesn't share all the features. To have evidence of use, you need to have all the feature, features of your claim uh, on the products that you're reviewing. So let's talk about the sort of level of review that the company uses. Um, and one of the reviews is that simply a, an employee or somebody technically astute might go take a look at the claim of your patent and the products of others, and they may come back with a, a sort of an assessment. Well, this is not very good, but it's at least better than nothing, but it's not an expert assessment, it's not a legal assessment, and it's riddled with the point of view that you think that your patent is important, so you're looking for the evidence of use. So that's sort of level one. Level two is something that we do two or three times a month at IP Capital Group. It's sort of a non-legal technical review, but we do use experts. It's inexpensive. These things are usually four to $5,000. Uh, there are other companies that do this, uh, but based on our experience, this can be very useful. And the uh, other thing is by hiring experts, um, the, the caveat is that we won't contaminate you, that we won't start what's gonna be called latches because if we show a violation, you might have to take some action and you might not be ready to take that action. This latch clock basically starts that once you actually know this violation, you uh, have to do something with it or not, but you can't later on let the comp competitor's product build a market and then come back and later on sue them because you knew earlier and you should have told them before the market got built. But because we're non-experts uh, and non-patent attorneys, we're not providing a legal opinion. So this provides a, a sort of shield against uh, this latch issue. Level three is what you do if the technical opinion is very strong, you'd hire an attorney. And these attorneys provide a legal opinion, usually $20,000, $30,000, and they will put you under attorney-client privilege, so therefore you won't have this last issue as well. In the level three effort, be prepared to tell your board or investors uh, that this is something that you have now, it's material, and you might have to spend a lot of money in litigation down the road. So the best approach is to do this kind of level two non-legal uh, non analysis and sort of get an understanding. And a lot of companies that we work with just use that analysis to do all sorts of the tactics we're gonna talk about. A positive evidence of use is also very good because it could lead to an infringement case, uh, but that could take lots of dollars and it could take basically lots of time and disruption of your company. Well, look, coming up, you'll see what next what we can do if we find EOU, what powerful tactics you can use to enhance your position. You're listening to Invent Anything with John Cronin. Be sure to visit us at inventanything.net. There's information, articles, and more. 
and you can leave your thoughts and comments there as well. That's inventanything.net. And now back to John and this episode. Let's get into topic two. What else should you consider with an EOU results? So I'll talk about if the EOU is found and if the EOU is not found. The first, which is great news, if the EOU is found. First of all, you know that your patent could lead to a lawsuit or a licensing negotiation, or at least something that creates some sort of a value. It's a great result to get 100% overlap if you suspect a problem. If EOU is found, be careful how you use these EOU findings. You certainly don't want to call up a competitor and say they're violating your patent or put it in a press release or any kind of marketing campaign because that could be thought as the competitor as business interference. And they could actually have a lawsuit against you as a business to it. If they did that, that wouldn't be very good because you'd have to defend yourself on the business interference issue before you can even bring up your claims. So be very careful with the positive EOU result. If the EOU is found, there's a logical next step to this. You need to understand something about the violator. Uh, how strong is the violator? Uh, do they have money to defend themselves? If they have a lot of money, you can expect that they're going to defend themselves. Uh, they might be very litigious. Uh, they might be very sharp elbowed and want to get very mad at you in the business sector. And you don't want to have enemies if you can avoid it. You may actually have to do freedom to operate before you move on a litigation. And that's what we talked about in our last podcast. Or maybe there's some leverage in the marketplace that the competitor has over you, where they could kind of paint a picture to their customers and your customers that you're a negative uh, you know, a person, company that's trying to use your patents to assert winning in the market versus excellent in products. If you find EOU, you should do evaluation of the infringement. I mean, wouldn't it make sense to understand how big is the bread box? Is this worth millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars? And Basically, in order to do this, you can do a low-cost sort of product-based infringement sizing, sort of back of the envelope. We do plenty of these. It's easy to sort of get an idea of the value of the EOU. If EOU is found, also there's a possibility that you could do something like sell your patent to the person that's violating it. Um, you could sort of go and explain to them that you want to sell your patent. Be careful not to describe anything about infringement. And maybe because of that, this you could sell your patents to the infringer because they probably want to buy it and be sued. And this could range anywhere from $50,000 to millions of dollars. So that's another advantage you have with EOU. The golden rule here is to be very careful when you start talking about EOU, talking to your investors or your board, because you want to have them understand how to stay secret about all this stuff. And you want to set expectations, because if you're off to try to find EOU and you don't, that might be a negative to your investor or your board. So set expectations correctly, but this is purely sort of an initial exercise to understand the value of your intellectual property. But you know, EOU is not always found. Like the golf ball, we showed there are a couple of companies that didn't have solid X's across every feature, right? So if the EOU is not found, you may have to think about how you might improve your patent filings in the next round to get improved patentability. So in that golf ball, you might find some of the golf balls you looked at had other features, and you might want to claim them if possible on top of your your patent to essentially get closer to the product. Um, so, but this will teach you a lot about how you construct claims. So when you're looking at the claims, you might recognize that you didn't add something to the claims that you should have to get a more clear EOU. Also, we talked about these bracketed X's, right? When you look at a product that you had to infer that they were using it. You can actually look at a claim a lot of times and ask yourself, does the claim actually allow me to see dead reckoning 
of infringement, or would I have to infer it? So you want to work that into your claim structure. Uh, if EOU is not found, one thing that is found is you can start to see your competitors' products and how they differentiate. And so you can learn a lot about your competitors. If EOU is not found, you can take a look at the features in your patent you didn't claim, but you might want to now go back and claim it with a continuation in part. That would be a great situation to be in, that they're not violating yet, but you have the ability to have new claims for continuation of your patent that reads directly on their product. And finally, if EOU is not found, you need to strategize as to why. Do you think the competitor invented around your patent or your patent claims? Uh, that's not good. So that might provide for you some incentive for you to invent around your own patents to make sure that you can create new claims where they may invent around yours. Also, you know that patents are, are about ideas that maybe relate to a product. The uh, product gets improved and therefore you can improve your own patents. So you might think about having improvement patents on top of the patents if evidence use is not find, found, because eventually you can improve the situation where evidence of use is found more and more. Well, let's talk about topic three, things you can do if there is evidence of use. What tactics can you use? So one thing to know is that after you have completed both the EOU levels of research, you can get together an appropriate set of actions uh, that you can be done. And I'm gonna have these different tactics. You can do them all with some of them, do them in any order you want. So the first one, and we talked about this, is to form an invent around. The idea is to take your patent claims like that golf ball and invent around it, and then write up patents on the invent around. Because what that will do is if you don't have EOU, it could be likely that the competitor has invented around your patent. But if you had done the invent around prior to this, they probably would land on the invent around patent. We have a checkpoint list to do this. Other companies do it their own way. This is inexpensive, but it's something that might be done to really strengthen your patents and the resultant evidence of use. Another thing I talked about just a little bit in topic number two is kind of inventing on top of or in the improvement inventions. So once again, you can invent on top of your claims in the improvement directions and strengthen the EOU. So what we're really trying to do is if there's one patent that has an evidence of use that's pretty solid, it would be better to have two, three or four patents on improvements or invent arounds. One of the things we could do, which is a tactic, which is kind of a little bit more sophisticated is if you have very solid evidence of use, some companies want to improve their position before they approach uh, the competitor or the violator, and they end up buying patents that are related to that competitor as well, so they're improving their position for litigation. One of the things you want to be very careful of is when you're dealing with uh, competitors, they don't want to be poisoned for willful infringement, and so they might not want to talk to you about your patent claims. So how you do this is uh, usually sophisticated, requires some licensing or litigation expertise. One of the things as a tactic is you can use EOU to actually help sell your patent to infringers. So pretend, for instance, that you have a patent like that golf ball, and you have very solid EOU. What you do is you might approach that uh, violator with the idea of trying to sell or license your patents. You don't mention the evidence of use. Let them come to the opinion that they have evidence of use. So you're never mentioning it. You haven't gotten a legal opinion. So you can't get a declaratory judgment. So what you want to do is to raise the value of your patents through the licensing discussion. One thing that's very typically done is tactic number five is some companies actually transfer this patent to a holding company and have a third party offer to license or to sell the patent to the violator. That once again removes you one more level. Tactic six is one that happens all the time with uh, our, our clients when they find very strong evidence of use. The next question they have is maybe I should litigate. 
but I don't have the, the money to do it because it's going to cost millions of dollars in many years. So there is in the market uh, companies that would fund litigation. And the interesting thing about these companies that fund litigation is they need solid evidence of use and would even consider to fund it. So having a good EOU puts you on the path of finding a funder for litigation. One of the things which is also very interesting, if you find evidence of use in the company, the violator is a competitor of yours, and they have the same kind of customers as you do. You can start to assert with the customers in kind of friendly ways that you own the intellectual property of the product. And you can start showing in a thumb down way some of your intellectual property to the customer. Now, note you're not suing the customer, you have the violator to sue. But what happens is the customer kind of gets this very quickly. And they may start to talk to your violator competitor asking, have they done any research on the patent picture? And do they know whether they're violating any patents? Because a customer doesn't want to be disrupted with some supply because suppliers are fighting over patents. One of the things is, and we'll talk about this at the end, is you can track the evidence, evidence of use every week or every month. Because once you do an evidence of use study, it's static. The company may change its product and therefore the evidence of use may not be there anymore. So we've developed a chaser technology that we'll talk about. But you might want to keep reviewing your evidence of use on a monthly or quarterly basis to see if it's still there. And finally, tactic number nine is to actually do nothing, to see if something changes. See if the infringer's sales goes up. If they do, maybe it's more valuable. See if the competitor starts to raise money. Well, that's a great time to start to assert your patents if they're starting to raise money because no investor wants to buy into a lawsuit. So sometimes just holding pat could be a strategy or a tactic all to itself. So coming up, I'm gonna talk about how to leverage your company using evidence use practices, specifically how to manage your competitors, as well as the future of EOU and automation. And I'm gonna talk about something kind of cool where patents may become sentient beings, just like data in Star Trek. So stay tuned. You're listening to Invent Anything with John Cronin. Be sure to visit us at inventanything.net. There's information, articles, and more. And you can leave your thoughts and comments there as well. That's inventanything.net. And now back to John and this episode. Let's move to topic number four, how you can leverage the evidence of use. Evidence of use research and the tactics we just talked about could really be your first approach to see if your patents are relevant. And that's good to know. You should do evidence of use if you have a product where you think your patent covers your product, because this will show copycats. You can report to your board and investors that you see copycats. And that's also good to know. You can do evidence of use if you don't have a product or a patent, but just to show that you're looking at the value of the asset of your patents. Uh, everybody has a balance sheet and assets. The CFO always asks about assets. So if you have patents, doing some inexpensive EOUs can start to let the board know that these assets are more valuable than just having a patent on the books. Keep in mind that evidence of use can be done through the entire patent life of 20 years. So you may want to continually look at the value of your patents through EOUs. You know, with the positive or what we call close EOU, you can actually take the, the patents that do have EOU and start to teach the market, put your patents on your products put your patents on your website, talk about your patents and what you do. And what happens is it starts to get the market and your competitors to th start thinking about your patents and they might start to look at your patents and may get to the point where they're concerned about evidence of use. Therefore, they would be forced to invent around your patents to create a, a new direction or call you up to take a license. 
One of the nice things about EOU is that you learn a lot about your competitors, particularly what they're doing directly related to your core. We did talk about evidence of use as a strategy to further create things like invent on top of. And these patents where they are inventing on top of, you could patent your, your improvements because any violator that's copying your patents is likely gonna wanna improve their products. So if you know that there's evidence of use and you don't tell them, you have the ability to start creating more patents on top of your first patent of improvements because you know that they'll be doing it as well. You can use this evidence of use in your IP strategy to understand how to improve your future claims. We do a lot of that. You can use evidence of use to raise money to help you do that. You can use evidence of use to find a partner to litigate. And you can use evidence of use in M&A discussions, but do it very carefully because if the acquirer believes that you could sue them, that might sour the relationship in an M&A. Have them come to the opinion they're violating it, but you have a good solid evidence of use and you know, so why not use that in leverage? to do an M&A. As we move to topic five, how to build EOU thinking into your product designer strategy, the first strategy is using EOU as an IP tactic. This tactic enhances your value or enhances competitors' understanding. Strategy number two should be noted that if you don't have any products, a good EOU can result and can make you an NPE, meaning if you don't have any products, but you have the patent and the patent is being violated and you can sue somebody, you won't get any, any, they won't have any ability to counter sue you, but there is a whole world out there where people don't think it's very positive to be called a non-practicing entity. Strategy three should be noted that if you don't have any products, once again, a good, OU, a good EOU can actually make you an MPE and you might get concerned about the negative press. Strategy four, it should be noted that competitors may also be doing an EOU in their products. So it would be worth if you found an evidence of use to do a free to operate to see if any of the competitors' patents are, are something that they could count as sue you for. Strategy five, if you have a small market versus uh, as a violator, you might go to your customer and basically try to figure out a way with the customer that you're using to show them your intellectual property and maybe use that as sort of a Trojan horse to let the customer know there's a violator and maybe the customer will say, to the smaller uh, supplier competitor uh, that, they're, that they may be violating your patents. So let the sort of customer work for you. I talked that we would give you some product design insight for EOU. One of the things that EOU studies certainly do is they point to new product development areas, white spaces, like that golf ball. Suppose in one of the elements of the golf ball were not anywhere in the product, but that could be something that could be built into future products. One of the things is that if evidence of use, if done iteratively over and over again with potential fringes, allows you to go through their products and their product design cycles so that you can see what they're doing. So evidence of use is a very common practice for improving product design. One of the nice things about product design is the third way is to keep your product changes within the scope of your patent. I can't tell you how important this is. We work with a lot of clients that do a lot of work to develop a product, get very solid patents, and they, they now feel comfortable that their patents are protecting their products. They may even feel comfortable if their patent is protecting their products and violators may be infringing. Uh, so they have this ability to leverage down the road. But then what happens is product designers keep designing the product and they may design away from the patent claims. This happens so many times that you thought you had a really good patent covering your product and the design changed. And so your, your product no longer is covered by your, your patent. So in any product design, 
we would use evidence of use in the structure to, to stay on your patents if possible. In a fourth area product design, you'll get a lot of uh, sort of using your skills and your processes around evidence of use by understanding product design, but also prior art. You can understand the competitors, the directions they're headed, and get some advanced notice of some of the features that they're starting to add. So you can use it as a competitive advantage in product design. And finally, one of the cool things is that if you have a really good evidence of use, and there's some features that are associated with the competitor's products that you don't have, you can be free to add those features to your product. And by doing so, you're starting to look more like their product. They don't have patents covering your product, but you have a patent covering their product. So by adding more and more features to your product that they have, if they don't have patents, they will be getting less and less value because you have the one core patent and you're proving on it in, the, in their direction. So they're becoming stronger violators basically of your, of your product patent. So let's go to the sort of the future of EOU. Let's talk about topic number six. Once you've done an EOU, you need to watch the product to see if they're changing. You wanna see if the claims that you evaluated like in our golf ball are still being violated. One of the ways to do that is what we call chasing technology. It's an AI robot that essentially takes all the phrases that you're searching for in the websites and basically runs an algorithm to keep searching those websites, say every week or every month. And if the number of hits change, you get an automatic email saying that the evidence of use has been improved or the evidence of use uh, has gone away or, or become less. We have a piece of software we call Elephant IP and Elephant never forgets, right? And it's a way of automating the EOU. One of the things is that we can automatically find violators. Uh, so on our drawing boards in the future, you just type in a patent number and you'll find violators. That's where we're headed. EOU can change right up to the courthouse steps. We've had companies we work with where they did an EOU, they found the violator. We, we put the chase of technology in place. They thought they had a great position. The day before they went to, to, to a jury trial, they found that the competitor changed the evidence of use by changing something in their product design. So now the case is gonna be less valuable because the going forward damages are gonna to go to zero. So using evidence of use in a legal case uh, right up to the courthouse doors or during even the court uh, jury trial would be very in instrumental to know every day how good the evidence of use is. We mentioned that EOU is something that you can link to valuation and link to your balance sheet. So in a way, companies can understand the value of their patents in a real-time way using the chase of technology as well. We had, a, we had a company that had over 200 patent assets that did evidence of use on each one of them. They had very strong evidence of use and they basically reported to their executives that they had very strong evidence of use. What happened is several years later, they asked us if we could help them license it. We went in and started looking at the evidence of use and found out that 50% of the cases were no longer evidence of use meaning that the products had changed so much that the patents didn't cover it. So here the company thought it had these great assets, 200 of them in fact, and 50% of them no longer had evidence of use. So don't be caught in a situation where your value of your patent assets uh, you think are static. Chasing technology is really for you. Now let's talk about uh, just one of the kind of fun thing. Let's talk about uh, evidence of use, uh, which is really a patent, uh, trying to find its value, right? So with the chaser technology, chasing evidence of use from a patent, the patent and the chaser technology together is like an idea trying to be relevant, right? Like the patent is trying to 
come out and to try to find violators with this automatic software. So the patent gets issued, the software gets initiated, and just like data in Star Trek, it's almost like a sentient being that basically it wants to go out and find relevance, just like data did. And imagine if you had a whole portfolio with chasers finding relevance, then you have a group of inventions that would be considered the company's sort of intellectual property footprint, chasing the world to try to be relevant. So in that way, in a kind of fun way, maybe like data in Star Trek, it's a sentient being. So let's wrap up. In topic number one, we said, what is evidence of use? What types of levels are there? And we talked about the very typical layout. We talked about the golf ball. We talked about how inexpensive it would be to do a non-legal analysis and also what it would cost to do a legal analysis. What you, what you should do in topic number two is, as you remembered, we talked about this idea of 100% overlap, or partial overlap, and what to do. Especially, we said, be wary of the risks, which is declaratory judgments, and the golden rule to use with investors and board members. We also talked about the uh, things that you can do if you do find evidence of use. Things like the nine tactics uh, that you can do. We discussed monetization tactics, holding company tactics for licensing, and how to leverage customers. In topic number four, we talked about how you can leverage EOU. We discussed the many things that EOU can do for you, understanding the competitors' products, understanding the value of your IP. And we even said that you could do this so that you could help raise money, do an asset-based loan, or find litigation partners. In topic number five, we discussed the five strategies and five product design areas. As you recall, we brought up this whole MPE issue. Can you leverage it or not? We talked about very sophisticated strategies by actually selling your patents because you know you have good evidence of use and how you can get your customers even to help. For product design, we mentioned a number of things, but one of the great things is to make sure that your products stay within your claim scope. We talked about adding design improvements, which you're gonna do on top of the direction of your claims to make your case even stronger for evidence of use, making your violator even weaker. And finally, as we just mentioned, what is the future to this evidence of use? It's not a static thing. It changes from week to week to week as competitors change their products. So why not add a chase through technology to continue to look at the evidence of use? And maybe who knows in the far future, maybe when it becomes totally automated that you can, that when a patent is issued, a piece of software boots up, chases the evidence of use, finds it, and then finds the violators. It's almost like the patent is reaching out to the world, wanting to be relevant, trying to find value for itself. And so by combining the patent with an evidence use chaser, you have kind of almost a new entity. Well, thanks again. It was fun. And I hope that you subscribe and like what we do. And please come join our blog at Invent Anything.